because we see his heart burst open on the page about how wonderful, how amazing God is. Why do I find that so encouraging? Because he's explaining extremely deep theology, but not just theology, not just knowledge of God for knowledge's sake. No, in this knowledge of God, it creates deep and profound praise to God. And that is exactly what knowledge of God should do. Our theology, our understanding of who God is, it should always lead us to praise him more, not just make us smarter. Then our whole education would be worthless. You can go and study who God is a lot, but if, you don't, if you're not changed from the inside out, you've gained nothing. I listened to some guy a long time ago, and he would always read a psalm before he started teaching because he wanted to remind his students, whatever I teach, it should create a new praise to who God is. So it could be heavy theology, but it should pre- create a new deep praise of who God is. So we can ask ourselves, is that what happens when we read the Bible? Is that what happens when we listen to sermons? Or do we go, like, that was very interesting. Interesting knowledge. But does it, does that, what the Holy Spirit ignites in us, does it change into praise of who God is? In this passage, we see how how God the Father even sends a living picture for the world to see. You could say incarnate, in the flesh. Comes a picture of who the God, God the Father is. So Jesus has all the same things. He holds all the same things God holds. You could say he looks like his exact imprint, his exact image of. And so sometimes people get it wrong. And I just, like, oh, we're created in the image of God. So just look in the mirror. That's not the point. That's not the point. God doesn't look like you. The image here is more like an imprint. So Jesus holds all the things God holds. And so when it talks about this part, is that God comes with all of who he is in Jesus so that everyone can see who God is. We are created in the ministry of God, and that's with an imprint of who God is. Not because we look the same. And so when Jesus came here in the flesh, it's not because he looks like that. No, it's what all of what Jesus holds, how he conducted himself, how he treated people, what he did, all those things. That is what showed people who it was. Not because he had pimples or didn't have pimples or whatever. That, that is not the, that's not the point of the image here. 
is that he showed in his life, death, and resurrection, he showed everyone what God is like. That that's what it is. Then we have some parts that caused many, many controversies in church history. We'll slide right over it, and I'll explain it right, what people killed each other over and stuff in three minutes. But um, So Jesus is first. He's first even before creation. He's with God, and he is God. For all eternity, we read that in First John, in, in John chapter one, the Word was God, the Word was with God. Jesus was there before the beginning, and at the beginning, the controversy would be he was first born. So was Jesus born? Was he not always created? Yes, he was. Well, yes, he was for all eternity, but he does get born into the world. Then we have this beautiful, beautiful picture of what Jesus was doing when God created everything. We see the role that Jesus played in creation. I think we will just read it again. For by him all things were created. So as Jesus, as God says, let there be light. Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters. The Father is there. By Jesus, things come to be. We see the whole Trinity, the one God, the three in one God being there, doing it together. So here we see that as God speaks, it's through Jesus that everything comes to be. For by him all things were created. All things were created by Jesus. And what does it mean by all things? Well, all things. And it comes to the visible, what we can see, what we can't see, physical, spiritual, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all the things that we see. All things were created through him. So, still learning to use my glasses. So all things were created through Jesus. And then we take the next next two words. Why is everything created? It's created for Jesus. So what's the purpose of life? <laughs> now I'm just making stuff up. You might have to check this. What's the purpose of life? Everything was made th- through Jesus and for Jesus. Purpose is all life. Is for Jesus. Everything is for Jesus. So then, <laughs> so like, why, why wasn't Jesus a sinful kid? Because he could actually say, it's mine, whatever it was. Whatever it was, it's mine. because it was his or is his I was reflecting on that and it's like 
that's actually why you're not yours. You're not your own. You weren't created for you. You were created by and for Jesus. So you're not your own. You were created for Jesus. What does that mean for our lives? Well, that will mean that I'm supposed to live the life that Jesus wants me to live. Because I was created for him, not for myself. Now, if you're skeptical about that, you should just look through the, how have you made decisions and how well have they gone through your life. If they were all turned out perfectly, then maybe we can talk about it. But most people would find a long list of this is all the things that I did, and it didn't really turn out exactly the best ever. But just look at what is it that Jesus wants for you? His plan is way better. If you're skeptical about whether, you're, <laughs> whether you believe whether you were created for Jesus or not, you are. And the abundant life in Christ would be way better than whatever you can come up with yourself because it would leave you empty and it wouldn't satisfy. And then a, a thing that has uh, blown my mind and boggled my mind is, 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 is this verse that uh, Joseph also... Uh, this is so amazing because uh, it says he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power after making purification for sins, he sat down on the right hand of majesty on high. So Jesus is the exact imprint of who God is. But it's the second part I thought we should just look about, look at a little bit. I think I've talked about it before, but it's just, it's so crazy. All right, I guess that's just the way it is, but everything in the world. Jesus was made through Jesus and for Jesus. But not only also that, he makes it all be there. If he stops speaking it into existence, it will stop existing. So if Jesus stops speaking this into existence, he will just disappear. This is how awesome Jesus is. This is all his function of how how all was made for him, through him and for him, and he sustains it all, all the time. He is the sustainer of all created things, the seen, the unseen, the physical, the spiritual. And we see that in his life, in his, in his life. He has power to raise the dead. He can still the sea. He can make food. He can command the demons. He has power over all those things. And they obey when he speaks. A fancy word is, is he is omnipotent. Uh, omnipotent. All power. 
over all things. We read on that Jesus is the head of the church, the body. Therefore, Jesus, Jesus is the true leader of all churches. Not me, a pastor, no councils. Just like we said, Jesus has authority over all things. He upholds all things. Even the people that would claim to have more power than him, he makes them exist. And so Jesus doesn't have to obey by any committee or councils. He is the head of the church. If the church moves away from the head, they're not part of the body. If churches just disagree with what Jesus says, they are wrong. Jesus is not wrong. And when we read in Revelation, he's asking some of the churches to come back. I'm standing, he's saying, I'm standing outside your church. I'm standing outside of your church. You lock me outside. I'm the head of the church and you lock me outside. I'm the leader. I'm actually speaking you into existence. Maybe you want to open the door so I can come in. They're asked to repent of that and let Jesus be the head. So my prayer for us is that we would always be a church where we know that Jesus is the leader. And we won't go away from the head. And that we would not be a fellowship where now we have the door open, but we wouldn't close the door and let Jesus be outside. He's always welcome in our midst, in our worship, in our worship that it's him we are worshiping. We leave God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Almighty God, three in one. Then another one is that he is the, oh, that was, the, that, was the, that part. No, that's a take part, Okay. Um, he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So the fast Bible student would say, that is not right, Paul. You are wrong. Because Jesus raised Lazarus, he raised the little girl, he raised uh, different people. Some of the prophets raised some people. So there are people that have been raised from the dead before. That is not the same, because they all died again. Jesus was first born from the dead. He was the first one to really rise from death. The other people were resurrected. Jesus was first raised from the dead. He was raised so that he could make a way for others like us. By his life, his death. He took the wrath of God and he conquered Satan's sin and death. But when he was put in the grave as he gave up his life, what leads what leads to sin, what leads to death? Sin does. But Jesus didn't have any sin. So he rose again. He took up his life again. Father raised him. And he did that to confirm and establish that Jesus is the foremost of all, that he is preeminent.
And also the beautiful example we have in, in baptism. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our resurrection. We say we are dead to sin and we are raised to Christ. Jesus' resurrection promises us resurrection and eternal life. That didn't happen with the other people's resurrection. There's a picture, a shadow of what would happen. But they died again. And they were raised again with us. Jesus made a way for us to be raised. Then in 19 and 20, we have this summation, uh, kind of like a reiteration, uh, re what is those repetition <laughs> it's a repetition repetition of verse one to make us aware and to make us marvel at all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus and what happened there and through him to reconcile all things to himself whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of the cross. So God, Paul and Timothy underscoring all of who God is dwelled in Jesus and by the blood of the cross he made he made peace and reconciled us to God. The purpose of that full dwelling of God in Jesus a long debate about the Trinity, Jesus is fully God, fully man. Another day, we talk about it later. That in Jesus, God reconciled all things, all those things that was made through and for Jesus, that was broken to pieces because of sin, was now the mission to reconcile all things back to God. A complete reconciliation. And God did that by making peace by the blood of Jesus on the cross. Then we have that we had this beautiful, beautiful picture of who Jesus is painted by the words of Paul and Timothy. And then it's like they turn and they now they look at the Colossians and the Laodiceans who also get get the letter and they say, You were lost you were alienated and you were hostile in mind towards God and you did evil deeds he's talking about what they were remember this is where you have fallen from then he takes a turn and he says he has now reconciled in the body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him Oh, what amazing stuff. That we were dead in our sin and trespasses. We were alienated away from God. We didn't even like God. We hated God. We said all sorts of bad things about God. But God comes in Christ and, and, and he wants to reconcile people back to himself. So we, we can be holy and blameless, above reproach, that nobody can point any fingers at anything we've done wrong. 
and maybe some of you will be like, ah, I'm a little bit far from that picture. But that's because Christ covers all those things so that we would stand like that before God. Remember the first sermon? Because that's really actually important right now. Paul's writing to people who want to follow Jesus. These verses do not apply to you on the internet here if you have no intention of following Jesus. If you have no intention of following Jesus, if you don't want to live for him, then you are not holy, you are not blameless, and you are not above reproach. Because the next part has an if. If you indeed continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been complained, not complained, pro- proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I became a minister. So the good news is amazing news, and you're invited in, but if you don't want to follow Jesus, and you have no intention of doing that, then these verses are not applicable to you. We want them to be, so repent and come to Jesus, then it's true. But if the blood of Christ is not shed for you, then this is not for you, because then you don't, you don't comply with the if. You have no intention. You have no intention of being faithful. You have no intention of being stable. You have no intention of wanting to hold on to that hope of the gospel. And I talked about it last time. This has nothing to do with perfection. This has something to do with progress. So if, you, in your, if in your heart you're like, I want to be more like Jesus, I want this, I want to hold on to this hope, then yes, this is for you. Amen, praise the Lord. Absolutely. It is. And we praise God, we praise the Lord. We've seen this beautiful picture of who He is. The warning, though, is if you have no intention of doing this, then this is not for you. You need to start over and repent and come to Jesus. Because if your hope is in something else than Jesus, then these things don't apply. If you have absolutely no intention of living for Jesus, you cannot claim these things. But like last time, if you just have small fruit, you don't have to uh, produce big pears or anything. If you, in your, if you have a desire in you to follow Jesus, you have seen what he's done on the cross. You want to follow him. Then yes, all of these things are true. You are lost far away from him. I was lost far away from him. I had hatred towards God. I was a better God than he was. But now, by his blood on the cross, we can stand blameless above reproach. And we want to encourage each other with 23. As we indeed continue encouraging one another to be stable in the faith, encouraging all, all, all of us when we need to hear the hope of the gospel, when we are, we need to hear those words to lift us up, that we don't lose the hope, that we help one another to continue to walk. And remind us of how good the news are. Paul ends it by saying, I am absolutely all in. I have given everything to this. I was, he doesn't, well, we don't, Paul says, 
And I became a minister of this. Knowing Paul's story from Acts, he has pushed everything on, on this to spread this news to everyone. He's all in on this. He gives his whole life to this. He's asking the Colossians to do the same. Live your life wholeheartedly for God. Holding on to this great hope. I just painted you a picture of who God is and how he came to reconcile you while you were lost. Hold on. Be stable and steadfast. And as we looked at, looked on before, and as I said in the beginning, I pray that this picture of who Jesus is will create in you thanksgiving and praise. Because you've seen how God, in his might and mercy, has come incarnate in Jesus and all, the, all of what Jesus has done through us, for us through the cross. This perfect picture of who God is. May it create in us thanksgiving and praise and rejoice and thanksgiving. Make this short time of looking into who God is stir your heart to want to praise Him more, to want to follow Him more as the Holy Spirit guides and leads you in this. That we will give thanks and rejoice. And worship the amazing God that we have. Amen. Lord God, we uh, <laughs> if there's one person that's indescribable, it's you. We can put so many. I can try to put so many words on who it is. As in, as indescribable and amazing you are. You still came in the fullness of who you are in Christ. And you showed us, you taught us, you're teaching us who you are through that. Correcting many misunderstandings of who you were. And all I got to do, as I just said before, I just really pray for myself and all of us, that as we see clear, clear who you are, as we learn more and more about you, or it would not be something that changes our only our mind, but it would change everything of who we are. It would lead us to thanksgiving and much praise and, and worship to who we are. So I pray that for all of us who know you. I pray for the people who might be provoked by you, our Holy Spirit, that not all the Bibles are true. Not all the Bible is true for everyone. For the people who are not wanting to follow you, Jesus, we do ask that by the Holy Spirit you will draw them, you will open up their eyes to see how glorious and good you are. That they too could stand holy and blameless above reproach with you and in you, Jesus. Pray you will bless us to be a blessing to the people we are around this week. And I pray for the time at the table, Lord, that you would create good time of worship as well as we share our lives together over a meal. And we thank you for the food as well. And bless your name. Amen. So you may rise for the, from the benediction.
Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all times, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Let's meet at the table.